That song was beautiful. That was, that's enough to make a holy roller dip snuff right there, boy. That, that was good. You're talking about North Carolina. Harold Seitler, I had him preach for me several times, and, and Dr. Rice told me about a meeting they had. Their sword conference, Dr. Hiles Dr. Rice were there. And that is a shouting church, just a shouting church. And they would break out into a run in the middle of a sermon. And uh, Dr. Rice was preaching, and a couple guys got wild. And they ran down, pulled the Lord's Supper table out, and they ran circles around the Lord's. So Dr. Rice, he said, look, you, you can't hear a thing I'm saying. He said, instead of shouting amen, get your hankies out and wave them. I'll, I'll let you do that. And he said, look like a snowstorm. <laughs> they, they wanted so, de- boy, I, again, but thank you for the music. <sighs> I wish I could sing. I wish I could. I, surely when you get to heaven, you get a glorified body, you get glorified vocal cords. <clears throat> I sing in the shower. And uh, my wife, last, she, she's had four poodles. The last one she had would howl while I sang in the shower. And she would say to me, would you quit that singing? And I said, tell that dog to quit its howling. And uh, so I, <laughs> anyway, I was not good at it. I, I, I've never been able to get that note just right. But uh, I love to sing. I love to try to sing. It's best for me to do it when nobody else is around. And now we're having church tomorrow night. You got that? Amen. Somebody say amen now. Amen. Seven o'clock tomorrow night. You make sure that you're here. And uh, he may have lost his eyesight, but I haven't. I see every one of you. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, you better be here tomorrow night. Don't make me hunt you down. But you make sure that you're here tomorrow night. We'll have a great time. I'll tell you what I'm going to preach on tomorrow night. I'm going to preach on the path to successful personal soul winning tomorrow night. Amen. The path to successful personal soul winning. For 29 years, and I'm bragging on Jesus now, for 29 years, every Sunday, I had a convert down the aisle and baptized in that church. I worked at it. I worked hard at it. And I want to help you because uh, you, this city needs the gospel. And they need it. And you've got to get the gospel out. And so you come tomorrow night with a pen and some paper, and I'm going to talk to you about the path to successful personal soul winning. You'll never, be, uh, you'll never really fall in love with what you're doing until you win a soul. When you start winning souls, there's something that happens to you. And you just want to keep winning souls and, and so on. And so you make sure you're here tomorrow night. Take your Bibles. We're going to look at three, uh, four portions of Scripture. We're going to Psalm 127, verse 1 first. Psalm 127 and verse 1. Psalm 127, verse 1. And then we'll, uh, after that, we'll pray. And then I'll give you the other three portions of Scripture that we want to look at. Uh, Psalm 127 and verse 1. Psalm 127 and verse 1. Have you got it? Psalm 127 and verse 1. If you have it, let's stand and stretch just for a moment here. Psalm 127 and verse 1. Now the scripture says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I want to preach tonight on this subject, God the builder. God the builder. No, I did not say Bob the Builder. I said God the Builder. My, uh, my wife got one of these, uh, uh, it's not a quilt, it's like an afghan, but it's got a place to put your feet in the bottom. So she can lay back in her chair and like that and get her feet snuggled in there. And my mama made it and sent it to her. And I went through the mail and I thought, well, where in the world's mine? I didn't get one. And so I said something to my wife. I said, well, how come you got one and I didn't get one? She said, mama loves me best. And... Uh, 
So she must have called my mama because a week later, two weeks later, I got one in the mail and uh, had my, my own, and it was made out of Bob the Builder material. And I, <laughs> I'm laughing about that, Bob the Builder material. And, but I want to talk to you tonight about God the Builder for about six hours. Tonight we'll discuss. <laughs> I said that in New Jersey, and a woman stood up and said, not tonight, and she walked out. Uh, <laughs> But I want, to, I want to talk to you tonight about God the Builder. And we're going to look at uh, other scripture here in just a moment. So I want you to get that thought in your head. God the Builder. Now, Father, help me now to help. Thank you for the pastor. Thank you for this great work. Thank you for the years of labor and no telling thousands of people being saved because of this dear church. Now, God, help us to go on and win more thousands to thee. So, Holy Spirit of God, walk up and down these aisles. Go from pew to pew and person to person and talk to us tonight please. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Now take your Bibles and turn to Matthew, if you will, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I know you're familiar with the scripture, but I want you to look at it. And if I move too quickly, just simply write the, the, the reference down and you can look it up later. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 is there's a conversation between the Lord and Peter. And uh, in this conversation, here's what it says, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter. Now, he did not say that to Peter because Peter got Alzheimer's and didn't know what his name was. Alzheimer's is not bad because you can hide your own Easter eggs every year. <laughs> You're just bound not to laugh, aren't you? Uh, uh, and you can read the same newspaper every day. But uh, thou art Peter. Now, he, the reason he's saying that, he said he's making an emphasis here on the name Peter. The Lord gave him the name Peter. The name Peter means pebble. Now, on purpose, he is making a uh, statement here. I say unto thee, Jesus speaking, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, or, he said, I'm going to remind you, Peter, you're a pebble. Watch it. And upon this rock, and everybody look this way. He's saying, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, he's talking about himself here, this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, now take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38, please. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 38. We're told in Matthew chapter 9, verses 36, 37, 38, that to pray to the Holy Ghost for, a, 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 uh, for something. Right, so let's take a look at verse 38. You got it? Matthew 9, verse 38. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest, not your harvest the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth, underline this, laborers into his harvest. There's a difference between workers and laborers. If you own a business tonight, that's 24-7. You live and die with that thing every day. Somebody works for you, they punch in at 7 and go home at 3 or 4. They, they, take, they don't take the work home with them because they are workers. The Holy Ghost is, God is saying here, pray to the Holy Ghost that God will send you laborers. People that live and die with it. Uh, it's 24-7. It's not just punching the clock and punching out. No, this is your life. This is your life. You see, this church is, uh, is supposed to win this area to Christ. And it can be done if we'll obey and have a great commission emphasis. And if we'll personally have an emphasis. Now, with that in mind, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you will. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want you to look at, at starting with verse 6. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3 and starting with verse 6. Again, if I move too quickly, I apologize. I lived in Michigan for 20 years and I, 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 I talk too fast sometimes. And it says this, I have planted, verse 6, Apollos watered. Now notice this, but God gave the increase. Do you see that? He said, uh, Apollos uh, uh, watered, Paul planted. He said, but I don't want you folks to ever forget this. God's the one that gives the increase. Now verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> neither he that watereth. God said the guy that plants is nothing. The guy that waters is nothing. Well, boy, I came to encourage you tonight. Uh, but look what he said. But God that giveth the increase. He's making a point here. Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. He said the guys that plant is nothing. The guy that waters is nothing. You both put one, zero and zero together and you got zero. Now watch it. And every man shall receive, now underline this, his own reward. Everybody shall receive his own reward according to his, underline this, own labor. So God is saying here, that I, I, you will receive rewards for your own labor. Each of you as an individual, we're going to stand before God. And when we do, God's not going to say, you had a big church, you get extra rewards. You had beautiful facilities, I'm going to give you extra rewards. No, he doesn't say that. He said, I'm going to reward you according to your own personal labor. I win souls because I'm saved, Bob Gray, not because I'm Dr. Bob Gray. I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'm looking for people to give the gospel to. Don't cross my path. I'm going to give you the gospel. I, I get on a plane. I sit down. The guy sitting next to me, if he doesn't want to be witnessed to, he shouldn't be sitting there. That's not my fault. Let him get his own travel agent. Now, here he says, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. I'm heading somewhere, so don't leave me. It does not say that he receives rewards according to his success. It does not say you receive rewards according to results. It doesn't say you receive reward according to, uh, to uh, how successful you are, how many results, how much results you have in your life, or your ministry. No, no, no. He says clearly your own labor. Uh, it will not be because we have a big church that we'll receive rewards. It'll not be because of the fact we have nice facilities that we'll receive rewards. It's not because we have a good Christian school. No, it'll be because of your own labor. God did not say he will reward you according to the harvest. And let me tell you why. Because the harvest is his. Yours is the laboring. His is the harvest. Why should he reward you for what he does? He's not going to reward you for what he does. Boy, we're living in a crazy society, aren't we? Just a craziness. Just absolute craziness. Uh, we've turned into a welfare state. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame. I'm for helping people. Our church gave over $327,000 from a gleanings offering. Every night we'd take up everything and we'd have families that needed stuff and so we would take up money, nickels and dimes and dollars. Well, it added up to an awful lot of money and we fed people, we clothed people and I'm for that. I'm just simply saying I believe in work. I believe in... Come on, somebody say amen. All you men stand up now. All you men stand up now. Stand up, stand up. You got pants on, stand up. All right? Now, I'm going to, I want you to say amen to me, all right? One, two, three. Amen. Now, that's Methodist level. Let's try this again. One, two, three. Amen. Now, sit down and keep it up. Amen. 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 Jesus saves. Amen. 
Heaven's real. Hell's hot. Well, learn to say, Pastor, you don't have to stand. You, you, you can. It's a, <laughs> we're not in North Carolina, but you just relax. Uh, now, the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I've got to be good to him. Or the love offer is no good. No, uh, <clears throat> he is saying to us, I'll do the harvest. I'm the God that gives the increase. But I want you to labor. I want you to work. Not based on results, but based on the fact, the fact that you sweated, you talked. See, some of you think you're a failure because you've got a small Sunday school class. That's not true. That's not true. You're a, a, a failure if you don't labor. If you don't work, you've got to work. You've got to labor because that's the basis for you being rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not making it up. That's what it says here. I, I was I, I saved at age 11. I was baptized in a YMCA at the First Baptist Church of Portage, Michigan. Pastor Marvin Owen was the pastor that baptized me. He came to the house and gave me the gospel. I was in the American, that was the American Baptist denomination. They didn't know anything about soul winning. And he gave me the gospel one day on the picnic table, but he never drew the net. If he had drawn the net, I would have gotten saved right then. But he, uh, he baptized me in the YMCA. Uh, you have to understand, the American Baptist domination, and if you're listening by radio tonight, I love you. Uh, but the American Baptist denomination, in this group that I was a part of, our family was, they fired their pastors every 24 months. It, it was just uh, ridiculous. Uh, they, uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Marvin Owen, they fired him, and he moved on. Well, I moved on with my life, and I ended up uh, surrendering to the ministry. I went to a sword conference in South Bend, Indiana, Grace Baptist Church. Brother Charles Davis was the pastor, and I, I surrendered to full-time service for God. I had already been to Michigan State University, and uh, I'd, I had my family. I had four kids, and I was settled in working for General Motors, and God messed my plans up. And uh, he, he put me in the ministry. So I, I went off and uh, went to college, and then I pastored in Bourbon, Illinois. There was a lady here this morning who was a member of that church up there. And then I went to Texas and uh, went to Texas, pastored there. And after I'd been in Texas about 20 years, uh, I got this letter, and it said, Dear Dr. Gray, he said in the letter, I, I'm just curious. Uh, he said, I'm a, uh, a pastor, health problems, I'm in a convalescent home, and uh, he said, I pastored in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Portage, Michigan, and uh, he said, there used to be a gray family that would come to our church, and he said, I baptized uh, one of their, their children in the YMCA, and he said, I've been reading the sword about you and about your ministry, and I'm just wondering if, you're, if it's the same family. Was your dad's name Perry? Was your mama's name Mary? Did you live in Galesburg, Michigan? I got that letter, and I, I, I just couldn't believe it. I thought he was in heaven. I, thought, I remember I called him, and I said, Brother Owen, I thought you were dead. He said, thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in that letter, here's what he said. He said, I thought I was a failure. I've been in ministry all these years. I thought I failed. Because I, never, I went from one church to another church, another church. Never had a church over 50 people. Never. And I felt like I was a failure. He said, to think that I've got a preacher boy that's, <laughs> that's had a million souls saved, I, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And I'm thrilled. Uh, he, he said, please let me know if you're the, you're the one. 
And I called him and I told him I was. Now he thought he was a fair, but was he a fair? No, he was a soul winner. He didn't know how to do it. He went to the wrong type of school. Uh, he didn't have Tennessee Temple. He didn't have Hiles Anderson or Bob Joe. Didn't have those to go to. Now I'm just simply saying to you, God is going to reward you not because you've got a big ministry, not because you've got great results, but according to the scripture, he's going to reward you according to your own labor. I'm going to stand before God. God's not going to reward me according to the blessings and the results that we've had and thank God for them. God's going to look at me and he's going to say, I'm going to check you out. Uh, what have you done? Have you labored? You know, there's some lazy rascals in the ministry. Thank God you don't have one, but you've got some lazy ones in the ministry. And they're going to be shocked when they get to heaven and they find out that their own labor is what was being judged. I'll tell you another story. I had a pastor. We had Texas Baptist College. Over 400 graduates serving around the world. And uh, we had a pastor in Mount Pleasant, Texas, who taught at our college. And he called me one day. He said, can my wife and I have lunch with you and Mrs. Gray? And I said, yes, you can. And so we went out to eat. They sat across the table. They snuggled up. And we sat down. And they started crying. And I thought they were having marital problems. And uh, so I said, what can I do for you? And he said, Brother Gray, I'm a flop. I'm an absolute flop as a pastor. I said, what do you mean you're a flop? He, he said, I've been a pastor of this church in Mount Pleasant for 10 years. He said, I, I started out with 100, and this last Sunday I had 100. He said, I'm a failure. Oh, I said, let's see if you are. I took my pen out. I said, I want you to put your heads together. I want you to give me some, uh, some answers here. Uh, so I wrote 100 on a, a napkin. I wrote 100 over here. I said, put, uh, how many think you've had saved in 10 years? And they put their heads together. Don't hold me to this number, but it was something like 1,400. So I wrote that 1,400 down, circled it. I said, you tell me which one God's interested in. I want to know. Is he more interested in that 100 that showed up or the 1,400 got saved going to miss hell? Now, I'm saying that God says clearly in the scripture, you are going to re receive rewards according to your own labor. Oh, I'm a member of Central Baptist Church and this is a great church, but are you a great Christian? Oh, we've got, we are well known throughout the area. Are you well known as a soul winner? Now, I'm simply, I'm not making this up. It's in the, the Bible. It's very clear. Now, here we go. I'm just getting started. Aren't you proud of me? You're not, are you? All right. Life is divided into two major areas of responsibility. So I'll get your pen out write this down. There are two major areas of responsibility. First part, my work. Second part, God's work. Now, I want you to picture a wall, a big wall right here. In fact, draw a line on a piece of paper right here. And right over here, my work, and over here, God's work. And I want you to build that wall there. Uh, I'm heading somewhere, so don't leave me. The first part, my work. The second part, God's work. Now, let me give you some scripture. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now, watch it. That's made up in two parts. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now the reason we're so miserable as Christians is because we're trying to tell God how to direct our paths. When God is saying, get back on your side of the wall and start producing something. And when you do that, I'll direct you. But I can't direct you as long as you're trying to direct yourself. See, some of you are upset with God tonight because God's not doing very well as far as you're concerned. And you're fussing at God about something. Well, the truth is, you get back over here and all thy ways acknowledge him. And on this side, he will direct thy paths. All right? Now, so my work, and this is interesting, in the every promise in the Bible, my work comes first. His work comes second. Why? Because we give him the material to work with. 
So God, carefully, as you look at the promises in the Bible, it's always my part first and then God responding to it. Uh, all right, write this down, Romans 10, 13. You know it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that right? Is, come on, amen. Is that right? Come on, you guys, stand back up again. Stand back up again. This is a shame. Stand back up again. Stand back up again. Now, when you hear a great truth, you say, amen doesn't make you spiritual. The dead sure keep you awake. Now say amen. amen. Sit down and keep it up. Pastor, sit down. Okay. Uh, so, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord on this side shall be saved. Amen. You can't save yourself. Jesus does the saving. But you've got to call on him. He's not going to... Calvinism. <laughs> Whatever will be, will be. If it ain't meant to be, he's going to go ahead and be anyway. What a philosophy. Uh, it's like the guy fell down the stairs and said, thank God, that's over. But anyway, uh, here's the wall. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't save yourself, but Jesus can save you. Uh, we had that dear lady got saved this morning. Boy, that was sweet. She bless her heart. She was bawling her eyes out, and uh, she was so relieved to know that she could go to heaven when she dies. Now that's exciting. That's exciting. Now, all right. Let me give you another one. Jeremiah thirty-three, three. Write it down. And uh, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show you great mighty things you know not of. Hold it, hold it, hold it. There's a wall there. Your part. Call unto me. Call unto me. And then God said, I'll show you great mighty things. In fact, I'll surprise you with some, with some gifts. Now, the truth of the matter is, you've got to understand every promise in the Bible, it's my part, God's part. My part comes first, God's part comes second. Uh, so, uh, all right, let's try Psalm 37, 4. In Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Now, we mesh that scripture together, but the truth is there's a wall that divides that. The first part is delight, and that's an English word for get your amusement, if you please, from God. Delight, I, I, I can't help it. I laugh at the same time, at about the same thing in the Bible every time certain things happen. I can't help it. I'm on a plane. I'm reading the Bible. And I read about how 185,000 Assyrians woke up dead. Now, I can't help it. I can't help it. Every time I read that, I start laughing. It, to me, it's funny. But uh, I, I, there's a wall here. Now, all these promises are divided into two parts. First is my part, and then God's part. So, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have nothing to do with your salvation except calling. That's all. He does all the work. All right? Now, if you're not saved tonight, you're visiting tonight, trust Christ. Trust Christ. Trust Christ. But you can't, he's not going to force his way into your heart. He's not going to knock the door down to get in there. And, uh, and I just thought of another joke about a Calvinist, but I'm not going to tell it. Uh, so uh, in Psalm 37, 4, he says, In all thy delight thyself, Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So my job comes first. In all my ways, acknowledge him. My responsibility is to acknowledge him. My responsibility is to preach of him, witness for him, sing of him, talk of him, speak of him, and exalt him. That's my responsibility. What will God do? Then God will direct my paths. I didn't sit down in a little bitty town of 10,000 people in Bourbon A and said, what can I do to get to a bigger, bigger church? What can I do to get bigger opportunities? I didn't do that. 
No, I did my work. I worked hard. I did everything I was supposed to do and getting people saved and getting people down the aisle and getting people baptized. I was working hard. Never thought about my future. Never. I remember being in Monterey, Mexico, preaching to 3,000 preachers. Dr. Hiles and I were together, and I remember standing on the platform, Brother Bloom, and all of a sudden it hit me. How did I end up here? I, I can't believe this. I'm preaching with Dr. Jack Hiles. I'm preaching to some 3,000 preachers. I said, I can't believe this. How did I get here? Uh, I'll never forget that night. Pastor Ashcraft told me, he said, I'm going to put all my staff on the platform and sit in the chairs. He said, I saw you one time in a meeting, take staff members, stand them up, and said, you better go sow it and kick them in the rear. He said, I want you to kick all these assistant pastors in the rear and do that. I said, are you sure? I said, some of these people don't know me. <laughs> and uh, so he said, no, I want you to. I want you to. I said, okay. So I did. And I finished. Dr. Hiles come down to, to, to preach. And I'm standing here with, next to my interpreter, Danny Ortiz. And I said, Danny, when he gets up here, he's going to bend me over and kick me in the bottom. And Danny looked at me and he said, how do you know that? I said, I know him like the back of my hand. And so here Dr. Hiles come down. He, cut, he said, bend over. And he did. He kicked me in the rear. Uh, it was funny. Uh, now, just, uh, just you, you see, look at it. Just pick out the area in your life where you are unhappy. Pick out the area in your life where you're, that you're nervous about. Pick out the area in your life that caused you to be upset. Pick out the area in your life that caused you to be sad. Pick out the area in your life that caused you to possess a melancholy disposition. Pick out an area in your life that causes depression, the very thought of it. It is always because you left your part and entered into God's part, and you are you're directing your own paths, and that's why you're miserable. You, don't, you haven't got enough sense to know what to do next. Let God direct your paths. You acknowledge Him. Get to a Sunday school class and teach those students. Go soul winning. Win people to Christ. Stay on your part of the wall and watch God do something with it. That's so clear here about the fact of your own reward. You see, anytime any of us leave our part to attempt to direct the, our paths, we get into trouble. Depression hits. A nervousness hits. Upset all the time. It's not your business to direct your paths. It is your business to acknowledge Him. When you make uh, statements like, I've just always wanted to, oh my, you're running your own life, aren't you? Aren't you? That, it's not going to work. Because you're going to be rewarded according to your own labor. I only, I'm not saying I'm against results. I'm a result-oriented person. You better believe I'm for results. But I'm, I'm saying to you, you we're, going to be not, uh, we're going to be rewarded not according to our results, but according to our labor. When you are doing what God is supposed to do, you are not doing what you are supposed to do. As your job, it's your job to provide the material. It's his job to do the building. When I lived in Arkansas before we moved to Michigan, my daddy had a sawmill, and he was building a house about, about three blocks or so away from the saw, sawmill. And, uh, and, and I wanted to help him. So I went over there. And I remember knocking nail pails over and, and uh, saw horses over. And I remember he looked at me and said, Son, he said, get your wagon and go back to that uh, uh, sawmill, and you bring me some two-by-fours, and we'll build this house. And I went back, I got my wagon, I filled it up, had about eight, seven, eight, two by fours on it. And you can't go very far, and they'll fall off, you've got to put them back up. It took me a half a day to get those eight two by fours to where daddy was. And I got there, and then he picked up, he, he oh, this two by four is crooked, can't use this one. This got a knot in it, can't use that. So out of the seven or eight, he chose two. Then he said, go get some more. 
Well, I, I, now I know what he was doing. He was getting me out of his hair is what he was doing. Now I ask you a question, was I building that house? No, he was building it. What did I do? I brought the material. That's what I did. Every Sunday, you ought to pick somebody up, put them in your car that you've led to Christ, bring them to church, uh, walk them down the aisle, and introduce them to the pastor. Do your part. Don't worry about directing your paths. You let God. That's, you see, you're not successful based on how big a, a path you direct. You are successful whether or not you acknowledge Him. That's why pastors change churches so much. That's why church members change churches so much. That's why college students change colleges so much. That's why husbands leave their wives. That's why wives leave their husbands. That's why staff members leave. They are directing their own paths and not letting God direct their path. Now, you've got uh, X marks the spot. You're supposed to be doing something. Now, you stay on that side of the wall and quit complaining to God. God has not turned out like I thought it ought to turn out. Listen, you ought to thank God you're not going to hell. You ought to thank, come on, amen me now. You better thank God you're going to heaven. You're, you're born again. You're saved. Well, quit your griping. Quit your complaining. God's doing what he can only do with what you give him. You see, when you ought to get back over on your side, only then when you do that will you understand. Now, let me give you several areas uh, tonight, if I may. Uh, let's, let's talk about uh, marriage. Okay, now let's move to the next subject. Uh, now, this is going to shock you. I'm going to say it, but it's going to shock you. You cannot build a marriage. Let me say it again. You cannot build a marriage. You can gather the materials, and the truth is you need to realize God cannot build without you providing the materials. God can only build when you and I provide Him with the materials. So quit trying to have a happy marriage and start being happy. Please keep the amens to a low roar, would you please? <laughs> Quit trying to have a happy marriage and start being happy. My, my wife is a clown. She's got all these health problems. But she, she is just, she, she's a, uh, she gives me jokes all the time. And she, uh, she's just a, a, a great personality, just a, a great woman. And she, when we started dating, uh, she, uh, she said to me, you know, my mother has multiple sclerosis. And she said, I'm a nurse, and I understand that you can't inherit multiple sclerosis. But she said, I'm fearful that I'm going to end up in a wheelchair. I'm fearful that I'm going to end up bedridden. She said, it's just a fear I have. And she, and she said, I know you're going to ask me to marry you. She said, but I want you to know right now what I think is going to happen. I don't know it's going to happen, but I'm afraid it's going to happen. Will you still love me? Will you still love me if I end up in a wheelchair or bedridden? And I said, yes, I will. And guess what happened? Now she's in a wheelchair and she's bedridden and I still love her. Amen. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my boy. When I saw her in high school, I said, goo, ga, gee, gee, wow. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and I, she wouldn't give me the time of day. It cost me a lot of money, but I finally won her over. Uh, now, I'm just simply saying to you, she, she has taught a great lesson. You need to be happy. Quit trying to get the result of a happy marriage and start being happy. You, you ought to be joyful. You ought to enjoy your marriage. You, uh, it's the, it's the, you see, you, God is the builder. You've got to provide the material. 
He will help you to have the right kind of marriage if you will give him the material. Why don't you try being a happy husband? You rascals, you come home from work and you slam the door and you kick the dog and kick the cat and everything else and she, she looks at you and says, what in the world is the matter with you? And you grumpy thing. Well, the truth of the matter is, you're mad at your boss but you take it out on your wife. That's not right. I'll pause while you say amen. That's not right. That's not right. If you're having trouble on the job, heaven ought to be found inside that home. That ought to be heaven on earth. Don't bring hell into that home. You come home and let it be heaven. Uh, my wife, you know, his, his, a, she can do anything she wants with that house. I don't care. I don't care. Just let me in the door. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. If she wants to put the soap, and she is the, she would always move stuff around and everything. And I'd go preach somewhere, drive back, get early Wednesday morning, drive back. One time I went in, in the house and I went in the bedroom. And I, I didn't want to turn the lights on because it was 2 o'clock in the morning. And I didn't want to wake her up. So it's pitch black. And I go in there and I always do the same thing. I take my change out and I put it on top of the uh, chest of drawers. And I take this out over here and I take my coat off and I have a rack, hang it on and so on. And then I lean on the, on the, uh, Chester drawers to, to get my, my socks off, you know, my pants off. And so I, I went over to lean and it wasn't there. And I went straight to the floor. <laughs> and she turned the light on and the bed was way over here. It was supposed to be over here. And, uh, and she said, drunk again. <laughs> now, now, let me tell you something. You, you, you better develop a good sense of humor. Because they, life is going to throw everything it can at you. And don't you let it divide the husband-wife relationship at all. The devil's a liar, always been a liar, and he'll lie to get you into trouble. Now, you have a good spirit. A merry heart is a medicine. It's good for you. It's good for you to laugh. Do you know it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile? You people are frowning right now. You have to work real hard at it. Now, I'm just simply saying, uh, B.R. Lincoln, I was with him one time, and he said, son... He said, put some orange juice in that castor oil when you're preaching. B.R. Lincoln, North Carolina. Uh, but he's right. He's right. Uh, Brother Howe said to me one time, he said, I hate that smile you got. I hate it because I can't smile like that. He said, I hate it. And uh, he said, you rip their face off, patch the face back on, and then laugh at them after you do it. And they laugh with you. Uh, he said, I hate that. Now, you ought to have a good spirit. You ought to have a great spirit. Uh, you be a happy husband. And don't worry about whether you've got a happy marriage. You be a happy wife. Quit worrying about having a, having a happy marriage. All right? Let me give you this. Parenting. Let me talk to you about parenting. About kids. You cannot, put it this way. Uh, my, uh, my oldest son who's pastoring the church, I pastored for nearly 30 years. He, uh, he was on the basketball team. In fact, he's our starting guard senior, and he was the best player we had on the team. And uh, he got in trouble, got demerits. And he was supposed to uh, uh, stay in for detention. Because, and he couldn't play basketball that night because he'd gotten so many demerits. Well, I was out of town preaching, and the kids were in the kitchen laughing and cutting up. And my wife heard them, and she went in the kitchen and said, all right, what's up? Well, Bobby's down there, he's, he's doing layups, and he's going he's gonna to play basketball tonight. She said, no, he's not. He's, he had demerits. He lost the right to play tonight. And uh, she, uh, she got in her car, drove down to the gym, walked onto the floor, took Bobby by the ear, 
and took him home and spanked him for being disobedient. She went to church on Wednesday night and a bunch of the ladies said, boy, I bet that embarrassed you what he did. She said, no, I embarrassed him. He didn't embarrass me. We're going to do right in our home. Now, when you do right, you, you can uh, have a good spirit when you do right. Now, in parenting, you don't, uh, question, Dr. Gray, uh, you got two boys pastoring and you're, all your kids are soul winners. Uh, what, what's the secret? How did you get them to turn out right? My answer has always been, I didn't get them to turn out right. I got them to do right. There's a difference. Make sure the kids do right. You're worried about them turning out right because of your family name. You don't want to be embarrassed with the other church members or the other parents. Forget that. You better make sure that kid does right. And if you do that, then I promise you, you do that part and leave the turning out part to God. To God. Let Him do it. Uh, all right, let's talk about ministry. You cannot say, I want a big ministry and end up serving God like you ought to serve. You can't do it. You can't do it. What you ought to say is, I will win souls, get people saved, bring them to church, and let God take it from there. Don't forget that wall. Every promise in the Bible has two parts. First my part, then God's part. God cannot do a thing unless you give Him material to work with. That's why you ought to give Him the material and, and, let, uh, and let Him turn it out right. You say, preacher, not, things have not gone the way I think they ought to go. Well, quit thinking how they ought to go. You, 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 I am Pastor Bloom. The last thing in the world he wanted was to have another mini stroke. Now, you know that. Although it's giving him some relief not to have to look at some of you. But uh, I'm joking now. Uh, but he didn't ask for that. And I can't imagine the fear. I, can, I just I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Dr. Lee Robertson for one year lost his voice. Couldn't speak. Were you there at that time? Yeah. He uh, lost his voice. I've had three vocal cord surgeries myself. And I had to sit for six months on the platform and couldn't say a word. When I got mad, I wrote everything out in red <laughs> and passed it to the staff. But, uh, but I, can't, I can't imagine. But you don't see him feeling sorry for himself. You don't see him. He, he's uh, making fun of it. Why? Because he knows he has got to keep his spirit right. He's got to stay right with God. And if he stays right with God, God will take care of this church. God will take care of the harvest. It's God's part, the harvest, not your part. Your part to win souls, bring people to church, get them down the aisle, get them baptized, and watch God do a great work. Amen. God will do it if you'll do it. Amen. Now, the first year that at Longview Baptist Temple, I told you we had a split. I was there in August. In March, I went to pastor school and came back, and half the crowd was gone. And uh, I thought, what in the world have I done? But I made sure we were going to win souls. The assistant and I averaged nine baptisms a Sunday, if you can believe this, for one solid year. The first Sunday, we had three blacks, three Mexicans, three snotty-nosed bus kids. And I'll never forget the chairman of the deacon board met me in the hallway, and he said to me, I hope this isn't going to be a regular occurrence. I thought he was joking. I was born in Arkansas, so I'm slow anyway. And he went like this to me. And I laughed, and I, and I said, yeah, that's something. And I walked down the hallway. Well, he followed me down, grabbed me by the shoulder, and he said, I'm not kidding. I said, well, come back tonight and see if I'm not kidding. That's called righteous indignation. <laughs> not mad, just righteous indignation. I went home that day. My wife fixes the best Kentucky Fried Chicken substitute you'd ever, anyway. Uh, it was everything's there. And I'm walking the floor, and she's saying to me, what's the matter with you? I said, well, I'm upset. 
I'm upset. And she said, what happened? I told her what happened. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to the south side of town and find me the biggest black man I can find. And I'm going to get him saved and bring him to church tonight walk him right down the center of the aisle of that Ku Klux Klan crowd. That's what I'm going to do. I was upset, boy. I was upset. You ought to read about what happened in Acts chapter 2, all the different nations and all the different people. You, you who wear a white hood wouldn't be very happy there. And so I, I got in my car. I drove the south side of town, South Green Street. I saw this six foot seven black man walking down there. I pulled my car over. I got, hey, I've been looking for you. I forgot the anger was still on my face and scared him. Whoa, he said, you're the police. I said, no, I'm not the police. And I started laughing. I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. And I just want to give you the gospel. I gave him the gospel. He knelt on South Green Street. He trusted Christ as his Savior. And I said, I'm going to come by and pick you up at 630 tonight. Now, you be ready. I went by the house. Uh, he come out the door, had his uh, suit coat on, a big family Bible under his arm. And he's walking to the car. And I looked up and the picture window there, I saw his wife. And I saw two little girls with their head pressed against the picture window with tears coming down their eyes, waving as if it was the last thing the time they'd see their daddy alive. And, uh, and he came to church, and I walked him right down the center of the aisle, had him see, called the chairman of the deacon's board name, and I said, come down here. I want you to work with somebody at the altar. He walked down the front. He was very proud of himself. His name was called over the PA. And he, he was smiling at everybody and throwing kisses to the crowd. And uh, he walked down to the front, and I said, I want you to pray with him. He turned around, looked at him, saw I was a black man, turned around and looked at me and said, and frowned, and I'm facing the congregation, his back's to the congregation. He said, I'm not praying with that guy. And I said, yes, you are. And I smiled. Asked my kids, when I smile a lot, I'm really mad. And I said, no, you're going to pray with him. He said, make me. I said, I'm going to that pulpit and get that microphone and tell them the chairman of our deacon board refuses to pray with a sinner at the altar. Now pray. He turned around and prayed with that man. Now, look, this is ridiculous. God has a plan. God has a plan. Win souls. Get people saved. Get them to church down the aisle. Baptize them. Put them in the church. And teach them to grow in the Lord. And God will take care of the rest of it. God will take care of it. When I had that split, we had $8,000 budget, $2,250 coming in. Oh, my goodness. I thought it was the end of the world. I really did. But I kept on winning souls. I kept on getting people saved, getting to church, down the aisle, and baptized. And God took care of us. God, when I retired, we had a, a budget of $62,300 a week. And we brought in $62,500 a week. We just barely made it by the skin of our teeth and our nose. But we made it. God took care of it. Hey, are you fussing at God tonight? Are you saying, God, that's not fair what you're doing? Why don't you get back on your side and decide to do what God's told you to do, commanded you to do, and do it. And God will take care of the rest of it. This church is in God's hand. Jesus said, I will build my church. But you've got to bring the material. You've got to bring the material. I was driving down Highway 80, and this guy was, I'd been in Longview, I guess about six months, this guy was hitchhiking. I pulled my car over. He got in the front seat, and I started driving, and he went like this. And I said, what's the matter? Won't anybody pick you up? He said, yeah, they do. He said, but they're, they're a bunch of nuts. I said, really? What do, what do you mean a bunch of nuts? They said, if you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? He said, those are religious nuts. 
And I said, who, who are you talking about? Oh, he said, it's that Bob Gray. Ever since that Bob Gray's been in town, he said, we've got them all over, like ants all over town, uh, witness anything that's breathing. And, uh, and, he, and he swore. He said, blankety blank, blank. And I said, hi, my name's Bob Gray. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, oh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. And uh, uh, so we're driving down, going to Big Sandy, Texas. I gave him the gospel, told him how to be saved. He never did get saved, but he knows how. I did my part. I can't make them come to church. I can't make them get baptized. I can't make them give tithes and offerings. I can't, all I can do is stay on my side, do my part, and give God something to work with. How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? Maybe you got some things you need to work on, huh? Before you start telling God what a mistake he's made. God didn't make any mistakes at all. I think about my dear wife and all that she's been through. God bless her. What a great lady. Oh, I just can't imagine. I think I'd go postal. <laughs> I think I'd kill me a few doctors. <laughs> I, I think I, Radio Land, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I'm saying to you, she doesn't complain one bit about where she's at in life. And I thank God she's the best prayer warrior I, I've ever known. Hey, maybe you've got some things you ought to work on, on your side of the wall, before you get upset with God about His side of the wall. Let's stand.